Greetings, brothers and sisters, in the name of Christ this morning. Opportunity to hear truth today. And the only reason that is because we have the Bible, and it doesn't change. And we can continue on in life with a full-time job of sticking to the truth. If you have your Bibles, turn to... Matthew chapter 23, I'm going to be looking at a little bit before that as well. This is a, a topic that has been subject rolling through my mind for quite a while. And I um, never knew quite how to, how to go about it. But as we, as we think of truth, I... I guess I kind of marvel at how things can kind of work together as we think of our Sunday school lesson. The um, title that I have for the message is, Am I a Pharisee? So Matthew chapter 23 is warnings that Jesus gave about the Pharisees. But just to get a little bit of an idea of what we're doing here, with why Jesus is saying all that, let's back up to Matthew chapter 21. And we're just going to go through a couple different sections uh, between uh, 21 up through to 23 just to get a, get a setting of what's taking place here. So in Matthew 21, verse 23, uh, it reads, and when he was come into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came unto him as he was teaching and said, By what authority doest thou these things, and who gave thee this authority? And this isn't, doesn't say the Pharisees. And as I, as I thought of Pharisees, I, I still am a little unclear on who that may be <clears throat> because there's lots of different terms. And even as we went through with, uh, in this verse, you have chief priests and you have elders. You also have Pharisees and Sadducees. And there was another one I'm not even sure how to pronounce. It started with an E, like Essenes or something like that. So there's a wide variety of groups, but apparently they all kind of had this same problem of <clears throat> accepting what Jesus was trying to teach them. And here... <clears throat> They, uh, this specifically is the chief priests and the elders, they came and said, uh, where do you get this authority? And Jesus just says, uh, I'm going to ask you a question. And of course, as we know, he said, um, uh, baptism of John, whence was it, from heaven or of men? And they wrestled with that, and they said, um, among themselves, they said, we're stuck either way. If we answer one, we're in trouble. If we answer the other, we're in trouble. Well, we'll just have to say we don't know. And Jesus also said, um, in 27, neither tell I you by what authority I do these things. And if you uh, keep going to, uh, actually, verse 28 there, he, he gives a parable of the two sons. And it's, it's uh, somewhat familiar to you as in the first one said, um, he said, I'll, uh, in verse 29, well, I should just read it. And what think ye, 
But what think ye? A certain man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. And he answered and said, I will not. But afterwards he repented and went. And he came to the second and said, Likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir, and went not. Here they, they basically, uh, Jesus kind of trying to point at them and say, Look, um, you see what's going on here? It's, it's, it's a little bit by... Uh, you know, the result of your actions, not by just what you're talking. And he says there in verse 31 about, um, it says, Whether them twain did the will of the Father, they said unto him the first, Jesus saith unto them, Verily I say unto you that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. And that was hard for them to accept. They they just, um, they just weren't quite sure about that. And, and, uh, just keep right on going. He, he, he says, here another parable. And this is the one about uh, man having a vineyard and he lent it out to, I think he calls it husbandman. And when the time of uh, harvest was ready, he sent people and said, hey, go, uh, go get some of the fruits there. And they mistreated each one. And he said, finally, I'll send my son and the people, or the, the caretakers there, they said, hey, if we kill this, then it's ours. And that uh, just kind of brings it again to how far off uh, these, these Pharisees and different ones were. Um, and we'll get a little bit <clears throat> into it later as <clears throat> they would kill and mistreat the prophets. God would send prophets to... Uh, inform them and they just they wouldn't they wouldn't listen to them they didn't they just didn't understand and in verse uh, 43 it's sort of jumping in the middle of it there it says therefore say unto I unto you the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof all these people the Pharisees and the uh, the whole group of them Jesus is saying, if you, if you can't continue with the kingdom of God, it's going to go to somebody else. And I think they were, they were um, on the verge here of, of understanding that. And as you know, the, the, the longer it was, the, the more odds they were at, between Jesus and the Pharisees. They just they couldn't, uh, they couldn't, uh, it was just, they, were, they weren't on the same page, if you want to say. And verse 45 is what I'm trying to pick up as we go through this. And when the chief priests and Pharisees had heard his parables, they perceived that he spake of them. And so this wasn't so much just, all right, he's going to keep showing the, the Pharisees how to do it. He was zeroing in on what they were doing wrong. And when you <clears throat> hear of somebody saying something and all of a sudden you realize, they're talking about me and what I'm doing wrong throws a big weight into it all of a sudden because I, I mean I've been in places where all of a sudden that it's like everything just kind of stops like we're not dealing about somebody else all of a sudden now we're dealing about me and it really uh, puts things where it belongs and in verse 46 but when they sought to lay hands on him they feared the multitude because they took him for a prophet uh, they were they know what to do with 
Basically, he wanted to kill him, as we know. Okay, in verse or uh, chapter 22, then go down to uh, verse 15. In chapter 22 there, it says, Then went the Pharisees and took counsel how they might entangle him in his talk. And it's one we know as well as it goes down through in verse 18, it says, or 17, says, Tell us therefore, what thinkest thou? Is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar or not? And Jesus perceived, why tempt me? He said, show me your money. And they brought it to him. And he, and he said, whose image is on here? And they said, Caesar's. Just uh, kind of overview reading it here. And they um, heard his response. Render therefore unto Caesar's the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. And when they had heard these things, they marveled and left him and went their way. That was, that was the Pharisees, and the next one here is, is continuing on. This switches to the Sadducees, I just wanted to point out in verse 23, the same day to him the Sadducees, which say there is no resurrection. So a little bit of belief difference between all these groups, but the Sadducees, they did not believe in a resurrection. They came with this story, as you know, about, uh, you know, this uh, a man uh, die having no children, his brother shall marry his I should just read it. Saying, okay, verse 24, saying, they came to him, saying, Master, Moses said, if a man die, having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up seed unto his brother. And I'm not going to read the story, but it talks about, they made the scenario up of, of uh, how things can go and some possibilities. And they get to the end and said, um, in verse 38, or 28, Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife shall she be of all the seven? For they all had her. And Jesus then re, uh, gives them the, the response there. And so they were just astonished at his doctrine and his teaching. That's in verse 33. And then... In a point out a verse in 34 as we go, it says, But when the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they gathered together. So they thought, well, we're going we're gonna to try to do better yet than what the Sadducees did. And so in, in 35 to 40, you have one of them, which was a lawyer. I don't know if that's a Pharisee or not, but mixed in that same group, coming to him and trying to to tricked Jesus again to get him caught and says, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. The second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. <clears throat> it doesn't say what the response was there. But as we go to 41, it says, While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them. Now this is where I just want to point out where it switches gears here. So all the, uh, all the time the Pharisees and these groups were coming to Jesus and trying to do things. And in verse 41 here, and I didn't reference the rest of the Gospels, how it holds out. Jesus turns around and says, All right, I'm going to ask you a question. And if we read here 41 to 46 it says while the pharisees were gathered together jesus asked them saying what think ye of christ whose son is he they say unto him 
the son of David. He saith unto them, How then doth David in spirit call him Lord, saying, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on, thy, on my right hand, till I make thine enemies thy footstool. If David then call him Lord, how is he his son? And no man was able to answer him a word. He didn't know what to say about that. But what I want to bring out yet, right here in verse 46, no man was able to answer him a word, neither durst any man from that day forth ask him any more questions. That was it. They were done. Pharisees, scribes, high priests, whoever, working together, they were done. Then we move into verse, chapter 23. That's where we want to go. Then spake Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples, saying, and I'm just going to stop there because this whole chapter, just give you the overview, is Jesus just reaming out the Pharisees. And rightly so. And as we look at this, it, it's not a time of gossip that Jesus is talking about these other people. It's very easy for us to do nowadays. We'll talk about a group of people. We'll just talk about them. And if you want to say, sticking to the truth, this whole chapter is all truth. Jesus wasn't gossiping about the Pharisees. He had reasons, and rightfully so, to point out all the errors of the Pharisees. And so let's just start in on this. We're going to uh, just go down through some of it by sections. It'll be all the way till the end of the chapter 39. I know it's a fair amount of verses, but um, there's, for me, when I was younger reading this, they were just interesting and appalling at these things in here and there's um, I don't know if you understand them all or not but um, we'll at least look at them and see what we can learn from them so we have 23 begins then spake Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples I also want to point out that the multitude is with this not just necessarily the disciples but Jesus is basically talking to whoever hears he's just saying this to whoever can hear it number two or verse two saying the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Now the Jewish custom was to stand to read and sit to teach. And when you hear Jesus say this, he says the scribes and Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. They wanted to be in the position that Moses is. And Moses was the man that received the law and could give it to the people. And they wanted to be that. They wanted to be, and they were, the successors of Moses with authority to teach and interpret the law. And so Jesus kind of sets this up a little bit. The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. And verse 3 is a little interesting as we go. I'll read it. It says, All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do, but do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. Now this is where 
the whole thing gets a little hard because Jesus says here, do what these Pharisees are telling you to do. Do them. Maybe not necessarily all their laws that they have that are hard to follow, but remember they are trying to give the original law of Moses. And he says you, you need to stick to that. You need to do that. Now, as I looked at the word Pharisee, the meaning of the word Pharisee is separated or set apart. That really gets hard to put in the mix, too. And I'm not sure, I don't necessarily have in my notes, but that, that idea is, is uh, hard for me a little bit to, to grasp that. The, the, they did. They wanted to be separated. They wanted to be set apart. And yet we do, too. And we are commanded to today. But there's such a line of... Uh, unclearness that we got to sort out what's right and what's wrong. And so the Pharisees were about 6,000 in number. And maybe I'll just add this now. I, I'm not sure when it says some places in Scripture a member of the Pharisees or a member, like you can tell they're like joined as a group. I don't know for sure if that's, they kept track of number member one through 6,000. Or if there was this group of people that was about 6,000, what we would call today in our Mennonite circles, there's about 6,000 premillennialists and about 8,000 all-millennialists. Or we could say there is a group of about 6,000 racists in our community, or there is a group of 6,000, whatever you might put it as, that is underlying but not necessarily in writing, if you want to say. I, I, I can't tell how that is in, the, in light of how the Pharisees were. If this was an underlying thing that they just, in their mind, they said, I'm a Pharisee, or if it was everybody knew that they were on the list as a Pharisee, because there is Pharisees that were good, and as you know that, there's a number of them. You might be able to come up with them. If not, you can, you can search and look at them. But the Pharisees were right in a lot of the doctrines that they taught. They believed in angels. They believed that the soul never dies. They believed in the resurrection of the body. And as I said before, there was a few good Pharisees that did what was right, I believe, in the sight of God. The main problem that the Pharisees had was that they externalized religion. And that is what Jesus is saying here about don't do what they do. That's why Jesus said to not do what they do. They may have said the right things, but they did them in the wrong way. They looked good on the outside, but inside they were unrighteous, and they did not practice what they preached. As we go into verse 4, here we have, just continuing on, for they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. Somewhere I found that there's 613 Jewish laws. And some of them I don't think are bad or unnecessary. Like there's, there's good in all that. It's just I'm not sure how they got to 613 of them. 
And the Pharisees were good at making the laws, but they were also good of, at getting out of doing them. That's the way I take it here. They would not move them with one of their fingers. They weren't going to put much effort into following through with them. And it gave opportunity for them to look holy on the outside without being holy on the inside. Even today, we are faced with the fact that each of us deal with the Pharisee that is in us. And we can feel a sense of spiritual satisfaction when we look or when we keep the outside looking good. And I'm not sure if that's godly truth. That's, that's a, a given from God's spirit that we feel good, that we look good on the outside. God doesn't look on the outside. He looks on the heart. And remember that there's a little bit of Pharisee in each of us that we like to look good on the outside. But back up to what Jesus said. He said, don't throw all that out that they're doing. There's value in what they're doing. But just be careful. Okay, verses 5 to 12, just to, to join some of these together, um, pull out some front of the verses, um, different things about the, that the Pharisees took pride in. So in verse 5, you have, uh, But all their works they do for to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments. I don't know if you know what phylacteries are. I did not. They would take little rolls of parchment, that were uh, uh, had written down words of the law and they were worn by the Jews on their foreheads or on their left arm so you would walk around uh, keeping the old law about keeping God's word on your forehead and your, on your arm as the way it's given in Deuteronomy the old law and so they did this in a um, in an actual way and if they had, uh, like here it says, make broad their phylacteries. So if you um, had a bigger one or a more obvious one or a better looking one, that, that just fell right in place with being a good Pharisee. Now today, right away, my mind goes to, oh, all right, so what do we have on? It's like the women have coverings on. And I'm, I, I guess I won't even, you, you can see what's coming here. The bigger the covering, the better you are. I take that back. That has nothing to do with this here. But it's, it's the only thing I could think of as an external thing that you can kind of go, oh, yeah, yep, this is, people notice this, people see this. Please don't take that. You in your own mind, la women, ladies, just continue with the veiling that God would want you to do. But the Pharisees did that. And so uh, the next one, it says, uh, they enlarged the borders of their garments. And in Deuteronomy, they had that little bit of... Uh, tassels or blue ribbon that was a reminder for the law and they would wear them on their garments and it says they would enlarge the borders of their garments and so that just you know added to their visual um, uh, greatness that you know you could see that so-and-so person had this and this is I don't know it would have been a a very emotional uh, turmoil time I think to be just always on edge of everybody's going to see what you're wearing and doing. I'm just glad we can throw all that out the window and not have to worry about it. Because God looks on the heart <clears throat> and not so much on the outside, as we know. 
Verse 6, And love the uppermost rooms at feasts and the chief seats in the synagogues. They just like those. The uh, places of honor. The uppermost rooms were at uh, probably at the feast, but then the best seats in the synagogues, um, we would see at it as we would see it in today's settings of who sits where in church. A little bit of that idea going on. Um, spiritual ones would maybe sit up front. That's just where the leaders sit. That doesn't mean we're more spiritual, but so-and-so might sit in the back. Um, you could go wherever you want with that. But they knew in the synagogues, like where they, they were uh, teachers, and, and, you know, when they had worship, they, they just had that... Uh, order there that you, you kind of knew who was more important or who wasn't they had that place of honor and it might not all be bad but they didn't do it in a in a right way and so in seven and greetings in the markets and to be called of men rabbi rabbi but be ye not but be not ye called rabbi for the one for one is your master even christ and all ye are brethren and call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. Neither be ye called masters, for one is your master, even Christ. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. Just simply pointing out, as Jesus uh, observed and what they would do, is these, these older people, as they walk through, uh, they just love that when someone would come up to him and say rabbi rabbi and that just means teacher or a um, master is used in there or a leader and they just enjoyed that when someone would come up to us and you know I could pick on any of you brethren here you just like it when people come up to you and uh, they whoever comes to you thinks you have great uh, uh, head knowledge or understanding of scripture and, and they come to you and say, uh, teacher, can you, can you uh, show me what this means? They just, they just love that. And it does make us feel good when people come to us and ask for things, but they would uh, thrive on that. They just, they just wanted that, uh, uh, can't think of the words, like to be seen uh, a greatness. And as Jesus brought out about humbling and not being the one that's your servant is the one that's greater, bringing in that, that principle that we know. But as we keep going down to 13, now he switches a little bit, and he says um, in verse 13, But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Now this phrase gets used quite a bit through the rest of it. And I'm just going to point out a little bit what he is telling them to watch out for. And the word woe means grief, regret, or distress. Um, it could even mean uh, like you're going to run into difficulties. You're going to be um, uh, running into not destruction, but, uh, you know, woe unto you, like a warning there of what, what is to come. And in verse 13, he says, For ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for ye neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. And Jesus points out here that kingdom of heaven thing. He says, you're just keeping men from understanding Christ, and you yourselves don't want to even understand Christ. And that door of learning, they kept closed, and the truth of the scriptures is just held shut. And in verse 13, I think, is a, is a critical point of 
what later on I think might come up, but the idea of repentance is completely shunned by the Pharisees. You don't repent. You're stuck with what you have, and you refuse to repent. And they were stuck on that. They didn't want anybody else to do that either. Verse 14 says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayer. Therefore ye shall receive the greater damnation. I'm not exactly sure what they did at the widows' houses, but they, uh, the word pretense in there, if they, if they went to the widows and, and acted like they were something great and made prayers in hopes that the widows would give them money, it, it just it gives the idea there of an outward appearance again and to put on a show of being maybe spiritual as they uh, interacted with the widows. Verse 15, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye can pass sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he is made, ye make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. Jesus did not criticize them for their zeal in evangelism. You don't see that here. He just says, you go all the way to land and wherever just to get one convert one proselyte to get one of the outsiders to join you and he says then you make him twice uh, twofold more the child of hell than yourselves it's, it's like the converts the teaching that they're given is going to uh, they, they'll be bound for hell more than even the, the Pharisees that were teaching them it's just uh, it's just going the wrong way verse 16 woe unto you ye blind guides which say Whosoever shall swear by the temple is nothing, but whosoever shall swear by the gold of the temple, he is a debtor. And I'm not going to read the next section, but it goes all the way down to um, verse 22. They had, apparently they had these technicalities, I call it, of if you swear by the altar, then that's one thing. But if you swear by the gold on the altar, that's another thing. Anybody uh, identify with technicalities today? You know people that get technical about things? They did. There was oaths that were binding, and there was oaths that were non-binding, depending on the words, how they said it. And they would either use uh, them for their, for their benefit, whichever way it was. And in verse 19, Jesus just basically says, um, ye, f- uh, ye fools and blind, for whether is greater the gift or the order that the that sanctifieth the gift. And there was a couple things in here I, I didn't pick out, but they, he, Jesus is just saying, like, what's it matter? And I don't think oaths can really have technicalities to them in, in what you're doing. Verse 23, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done and have and not to leave the other undone. So you were supposed to tithe of what the Lord blessed you with. I don't know the laws very much in the Old Testament, but they would do the outward appearance of everything that uh, yielded abundance or a harvest, they would tithe 10% down to the herbs. Um, And I'm not sure what these all were used for, but uh, they were just very detailed about it. And Jesus says, you missed it. There's bigger things in this. The weightier matters of the law. Judgment, mercy, and faith. 
Continuing on, verse 24, ye blind guides which strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. I remember reading this verse for a long time, but I didn't realize till now what it meant. <clears throat> it simply meant that they, in the laws of having uh, to avoid unclean food, were afraid that a little gnat would get in their drink or in their wine, and so they would strain it, however they do it, and pour it through to strain out any little bug or something that might be in there because they didn't want to eat a mosquito or whatever bug would be uh, in their drink because then that would be unclean. So they went to great measures to make sure that didn't happen. And I'm assuming people knew that. So-and-so, he strains his wine to make sure there's nothing there. It's like you can see this kind of how it would be. But what Jesus meant by you swallow a camel. Now a camel and a gnat are both unclean uh, things that you can eat. And when Jesus says about swallowing a camel, I don't think it maybe was literally that. I think it was figuratively that you're, you're, you're into all kinds of unclean things. You're just not getting it. Um, I have down here, conscientious in small matters, but careless in great matters. <clears throat> Verses 25 to 28. Uh, outside looks clean, but the inside is not clean. Um, I'm just going to read 25 to to 28. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse, that, cleanse first that which is within the cup and the platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. It's pretty self-explanatory there about um, looking clean on the outside, but then on the inside uh, not being clean. And just to point out on about the grave, stepping on a grave made a person unclean. So they painted them white so you could see it. That you didn't step on a grave that you didn't know was there. They, they wanted to point them out, and so they painted them white to make them visible. They, but again, Jesus is pointing out they appear clean on the outside, but spiritually dead on the inside, and uh, full of dead man's bones. It's just not very, not very clean. Verse 29 to 32 just going to read them quick. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because ye build the tombs of the prophets and garnish the sepulchres of the righteous, and say, If we had been in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Wherefore be ye witness, witnesses unto yourselves that ye are the children of them which killed the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers." This is basically an obvious contradiction that, the, that they did because they would take uh, the tombs of the important people years ago, they would decorate them. They'd make them fancy. They'd, 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 uh, you know, they'd honor them, so to speak. And if a, uh, they need to build a synagogue, they would maybe build it close to the tomb of a prophet in a way of honoring them. But Jesus says, 
you're the children of these people and you killed them. Now you turn around and honor them. It doesn't make any sense. And like I say, Jesus pointed out that the sons of them that killed the prophets. And verse 32 says, fill up then the measure of your fathers. Jesus basically saying, just keep on doing what your fathers did. Just, it's like, you know what's inside your heart. The Pharisees wanted to kill Jesus. He's like, just keep on doing it. Just fill up the measures of what your fathers were doing. And they did. As we know, Jesus was killed. Verse 33, ye serpents, ye generation of vipers, how can ye escape the damnation of hell? It's just interesting how he calls them serpents and generation of vipers. It's, I didn't really study into why or what, but um, that's not a very respectful term, but that's what Jesus used. And as we read 33, that's how he introduced it, 34 through 36 I'll just keep going here in verse 34 wherefore behold I send unto you prophets and wise men and scribes and some of them ye shall kill and crucify and some of them ye shall scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth from the blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zacharias son of Berechias whom ye slew between the temple and the altar and this, this recaps a little bit what we were saying of Jesus basically telling all the people there that, you know, prophets that we sent, you refused, you killed them. And I'm not sure if this maybe even is for future of like this is going to this is going to happen uh, later on. But we know that um, in verse 36, verily I say unto you, all these things shall come upon this generation as near as I could tell in uh, some of the studying, the destruction of the temple that came in AD 70 just destroyed everything. And that was uh, what Jesus is saying here. I think all these things shall come upon this generation. Um, they were killing the prophets, but it's going to go back on them, and they're going to get their reward for what they did. <clears throat> But then this leads us to verse 37, and this is, this is probably the verse I needed out of, the whole, out of the whole chapter. And it's Jesus' heart for the people. He says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets, and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Just read the last two verses. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate, for I say unto you, ye shall not see me henceforth, till ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. You see all these things that Jesus pointed out, and he turns around in 37 and says, I wish they would have came to me. And in uh, Luke 19, 41 and 42, it may be a different setting, but he wept over the city. It emotionally came upon him of the people that would not would not listen. They wouldn't get it. They they just refused to to understand the truth, if you want to say. And I can, for myself, cannot can I see the pain in these words that Jesus says here? 
I would have gathered thy children together even as a hen gathers her chickens under her wings. He wants you and I today to not be Pharisees and to want to come to Jesus. That's basic and we know that. But we need to be the opposite of the Pharisees and to always be desiring to be under Christ. And the Holy Spirit helps us desire that close relationship with God. Verse 38 says, Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. There was um, some reference to the fact that, it could be taken this way, that the house, if you want to say the church, is left desolate. God said, my spirit is leaving. He's like, you are desolate. You are by yourself. I am not going to be with you anymore. And then in 39, he says, For I say unto you, ye shall not see me henceforth, till I say, till ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. So how much do you want to be in communion with Christ this morning? Jesus will always be a little bit ahead of you and want you just a little bit closer. He wants you under his wing just a little bit more. And sometimes we don't want to at times. Some practical pointers, just a couple things here, not very much. Kind of in overview of all this, one thing I came out, somebody said, it's very sinful to give counsel to others and refuse to take it yourself. Be very careful of that. That is a Pharisee. It was also a leading aim of the Redeemer, of Jesus Christ, to teach men that true piety consisted not in forms, but in substance, not in outward observations, but in an inward spirit. And you see that when Jesus says, Come unto me in spirit. Come, be under me, be with me. Here's my point about repentance. John did not baptize the Pharisees because they failed to give any evidence of repentance. And it goes hand in hand with the Pharisees refused. They refused to turn from what they were doing to repent and to follow Jesus. And John just says, and, and I'm, you'd have to study it a little bit. It doesn't say it specifically, but it talks about the Pharisees refusing to repent. And are you repenting? Am I? Do we continue to repent and to be coming to Christ? And another one is not given in this today, but as I, or in the scripture here, but as I thought about throughout the Pharisees and all their dealings and what they did with Jesus, I think you'll understand when I say this. It's not, uh, scripture gives indication otherwise, but I would like to say that anger is a sign of being a Pharisee. Now, scripture does allow us to be angry, but when you are continually bucking against things and things are making you angry and things are making you mad that's the way the Pharisees were Jesus does not want us to be that way he wants us to surrender to give in to understand what's like what would be making you angry why would you be in a battle like 
up against it all the time. And another one here, we want to live a separated life. We want to do what the Pharisees were doing. But it must be grounded in the truth of the Bible. And I don't know, the Sunday school lesson came out that way, and I kind of fail to look at the Sunday school lesson, but it's just what it is today. We need to be grounded in the truth of the Bible. Now, for closing, I found some interesting... It's called the um, Talmud. It's a collection of Jewish law and tradition. And I'm not familiar with it very much. But it says in there, there were seven kinds of Pharisees. And I would point out that you do not want to be six of them, but the last one is good. So I'll just give you a warning there. This will pretty well be in closing as we get to the seventh one. This said, the first first Pharisee was a Shechemite Pharisee. He kept the law for what he could get for himself. And you go back and read, there's reference to it way back in the Old Testament, what I want to say Judah did something so he could get what he wanted. Second one, the humbling Pharisee, who to appear humble always hung down his head. Number three, the bleeding Pharisee, who in order not to see a woman, walked with his eyes closed and thus met with wounds. And number four is similar, the mortar Pharisee, who wore a mortar-shaped cap to cover his eyes that he might not see any impurities or indecencies. Number five, the what am I yet to do Pharisee, who not knowing much about the law, as soon as he had done one thing, asked, what is my duty now? And I will do it. Now it might not be so bad, but. More the idea of, uh, I, I did my job, that's, I'm, that's, that's it, I'm good. A selfish point of view. And number six, the Pharisee from fear, who kept the law because he was afraid of future judgment. And there could be some, uh, some good in that. But we've got to move beyond fear. We're not motivated by fear, we need to be motivated by love. And the last one, the Pharisee from love. It's kind of building up to that. And it says, Who obeyed the Lord because he loved him with all his heart. And that's where it comes down to today. It's how much do you love Jesus? Or how much do you want to be a Pharisee? There's not really room for both. You're kind of one or the other. I mean, you might get mixed in between some. But that's my challenge as we think of in verse 37. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathered her chickens under her wings? And you would not. We're not the ones out there killing prophets today. I understand that. But there's still a temptation inside of us to just refuse that what Jesus would want close communion so that we would be as this says the Pharisee from love who obeyed the Lord because he loved him with all his heart that's what I want to leave with you as I thought of Pharisees there was 
kind of a lot of different ways we can go, but the, I think the biggest thing that um, that struck me was that that word means separated. It means um, set apart and how Satan just loves to confuse us. But as we look to God, as we love Him, He'll give us the truth and we can live in peace and joy when we're in harmony with 